One of my favorite pastors, who was also a writer, said, Christ is the way as well as the truth and the life. When we don't do it His way, we mess up the truth and we miss out on the life. We can't live a life more like Jesus by embracing a way of life less like Jesus. Today can be Palm Sunday, where we read about Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem, where people wave palm branches and shout Hosanna. But today can also be Passion Sunday, where we hear the story of the cross. And since about one-third of the gospel is about the events and teachings of the final days of Jesus' life, and because the death and resurrection of Jesus formed the center of our belief in what we preach. And since this is the story that we need to hear before Easter, this is the story that we read today. And this is the longest gospel reading of the year. And I encourage you to follow along, to not only hear the story, but to read it and to be shaped by it. And as you turn to Luke chapter 23, I'll put these verses in their literary context for you. Luke 22 tells us the story of the Last Supper. And then Jesus has His farewell address where He gives His final teaching to the disciples. And then He goes to the Mount of Olives to pray. And there He's taken captive. And Jesus is taken that night to the home of the high priest. And in the morning to the council. And that's where these verses pick up. Luke chapter 23, verses 1 through 49. The whole assembly got up and led Jesus to Pilate and began to accuse him. They said, We have found this man misleading our people, opposing the payment of taxes to Caesar, and claiming that he is the Christ, a king. Pilate asked, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus replied, That's what you say. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no legal basis for action against this man. But they objected strenuously, saying, He agitates the people with his teaching throughout Judea, starting from Galilee all the way here. And hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was from Herod's district, Pilate sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Herod was very glad to see Jesus, for he had heard about Jesus and had wanted to see him for quite some time. He was hoping to see Jesus perform some sign. Herod questioned Jesus at length, but Jesus didn't respond to him. The chief priest and the legal experts were there, fiercely accusing Jesus. Herod and his soldiers treated Jesus with contempt, and Herod mocked him by dressing Jesus in elegant clothes and sent him back to Pilate. Pilate and Herod became friends with each other that day. Before this, they had been enemies. And then Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people. He said to them, You brought this man before me as one who is misleading the people. I have questioned him in your presence and found nothing in this man's conduct that provides a legal basis for the charges you have brought against him. Neither did Herod, because Herod returned to him, returned him to us, 
He's done nothing that deserves death. Therefore I'll have him whipped and then let him go. But with one voice they shouted, Away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison because of a riot that had occurred in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them again because he wanted to release Jesus. They kept shouting out, Crucify him! Crucify him! And for the third time, Pilate said to them, Why? What wrong has he done? I found no legal basis for the death penalty in his case. Therefore, I will have him whipped and then let him go. But they were adamant, shouting their demand that Jesus be crucified. Their voices went out, and Pilate issued his decision to grant their request. He released the one they asked for, who had been thrown into prison because of a riot and murder. But he handed Jesus over to their will. As they led Jesus away, they grabbed Simon, a man from Cyrene, who was coming in from the countryside. They put the cross on his back and made him carry it behind Jesus. A huge crowd of people followed Jesus, including women who were mourning and wailing for him. Jesus turned to the women and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, don't cry for me. Rather, cry for yourselves and your children. The time will come when they will say, Happy are those who are unable to become pregnant, the wombs that never gave birth, and the breasts that never nursed a child. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. If they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? They also led two other criminals to be executed with Jesus. When they arrived at the place called the Skull, they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They drew lots as a way of dividing up his clothing. The people were standing around watching, but the leader sneered at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he really is the Christ sent from God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came up to him, offering him sour wine and saying, If you really are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Above his head was a notice of the formal charge against him. It read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals hanging next to Jesus insulted him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. Responding, the other criminal spoke harshly to him. Don't you fear God, seeing that you've also been sentenced to die? We are rightly condemned, for we are receiving the appropriate sentence for what we did. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, I assure you that today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness covered the whole earth until about three o'clock. While the sun stopped shining, then the curtain in the sanctuary tore down the middle. Crying out in a loud voice, Jesus said, Father, into your hands I entrust my life. After he said this, he breathed for the last time. 
when the centurion saw what happened, he praised God saying, It's really true, this man was righteous. All the crowds who had come together to see this event returned to their homes, beating their chest after seeing what had happened. And everyone who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance observing these things. And let us pray. Almighty and ever-living God, in your tender love for the human race, you sent your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, to take upon him our nature and to set the death upon the cross, giving us the example of his great humility. Mercifully grant that we may walk in the way of his suffering and also share in his resurrection. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Jesus' entire life makes us ask questions. How can an eternal God have a birthday? How does his Father go looking for him and find him in his Father's house? How does the Creator of the world have no place to lay his head? It truly is like what Charles Wesley wrote. Tis mystery all, the immortal dies. And nowhere is the irony of Jesus' life stronger than in the expectations of his royalty. Jesus is descended from David, the greatest king Israel ever had. He's the Messiah who is expected to rule and to reign. And Mary has anointed him like kings are anointed. And now we come to the point of his coronation where he will take his throne. But it's not like anyone expected. The cross is his throne. Kings are not martyrs. They don't die self-sacrificial deaths. In fairy tales, kings live happily ever after with a beautiful queen. And in history books, sure, some kings die at the hands of an enemy. But they always go down fighting. They always die self protectively, not self-sacrificially. And here, the king of kings is given a crown to wear and a sign is placed over his head. This is the king of the Jews. Instead of a royal cupbearer offering wine, soldiers give him vinegar. Instead of commanding an army, he is surrounded by soldiers who mock and beat him. But Jesus doesn't die alone. One criminal is on his right and another one on his left. And finally, Jesus hears a single voice of sincerity among the jeers of the crowd. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Finally, at last, at last, Jesus is truly hailed as king by a petty thief. Jesus spent so much of his life explaining and showing what the kingdom of God is like. But we still have a difficult time understanding it. Is it a mustard seed? A pearl of great price? Yeast working its way through dough? And if his kingdom which he took so much time and such great care to describe 
is so hard to grasp, then it's no wonder that we have such a hard time recognizing the cross as a throne and recognizing Jesus as King here at this scene, here in this moment, at His death. Jesus' whole life was a question, something hard to explain, a paradox. What He did was unexpected. The people He chose to be His followers was surprising. His path to power is a path of defeat and death. The cross is the final moment of confusion. This can't be it. Can it? Can this be what He was intending to do with His reign? The truth of the Gospel story is that we have this unexpected King. His throne is a cross. His final words are a proclamation of forgiveness. And His final act is one that ensures His kingdom will not end. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.